Hello and welcome back to the Across the Pod podcast. It's time for another season preview and this time it's a turn of the Las Vegas Raiders. With me, I've got a returning guest to the podcast who was on in last year's season preview for the Raiders. Back with me today is Sky Sports' Jeff Reinbold. How are you? I'm doing really good, man. I appreciate it and it's awesome to be on with you guys. I know uh, you guys are getting ready. It's it's about around the corner. We're second week of preseason right now and some questions are getting answered around the league and even more questions are being asked around the league. So it's going to be a really interesting run up into February and the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, it's it's the longest off season in any sport I can think of. And it's, you know, when it gets to February, I always love the, the build of Super Bowls is always great. And you always look forward to the big game. And then when, you, when the game finishes, you realize, oh, no, I've got seven months of no NFL action in it. it, <laughs> it it's so it's so long. It's so long. But when preseason hits, you know that regular season football's around the call. You know that week one is just coming up. You know the season is just beginning. And I think it's just an exciting time for all NFL fans. All right, brother. I got to ask you, what is my email that you sent this link to? So it is no sleep Hawaii. No off season Hawaii. No off season. Sorry. Yeah. Because <laughs> there is no off season. I tell you what. The, the NFL has done maybe as good a job as you can possibly do. You know, it's different in other sports. In baseball, you play 162 games, hockey, 85, basketball, 82. In the premiership, and, you know, you're playing in not only the premiership, the Champions League for your country. I mean, it's like soccer 24-7. But the NFL, you play 17 times right? 17 times. And there's some implications to that, really, Andy, because if you play 17 times, you can't go on a four-game losing streak like you can in those sports, right? So it's every game has so much meaning and so much value. But what the NFL has done a masterful job of, I think, is creating a calendar, a year-round calendar with the draft, with OTAs, with you know, the, the combine with all of those things so that we get a little nibble every month or so during the off season, just to keep you, just, just to keep you involved. And, but now, boy, I tell you what I watched, uh, I was just today, uh, we played a night. So I, I went home, had the afternoon off. I fixed myself some lunch and I'm watching the Panthers against the Jets in preseason and just intrigued by the whole thing. There's so many storylines, so much going on. It's really, really incredible. Yeah, I think it's certainly the last few years. You've seen a lot more off-season drama. I think this off-season was particularly Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers storylines and all that, and recently the running back stuff. But I think even now you've got what seems like a sport itself these days, the announcement of the schedule. Each team seems to be competing with each other's social media teams, trying to get the best, best video out there. Oh, it's amazing. Like I'm watching and there's a little, this is, there's a, there's a, you know, there's another side to this story too, because what that tends to do is create X. And I'm talking to you as a football coach, right? And, you know, I heard Aaron Rodgers say, make this statement. You want to temper expectations a little bit, but the marketers and the social media people and all that, their job is to create hype, Right. And so every time a guy makes a one-hand catch, it's all over the internet. Or anytime a guy blocks a guy, it's all over the internet. And so it's really difficult now to go into the season and 
surprise anybody because so much is out there. And I think there's a, you know, there's a positive aspect of that. And then there's also, you know, uh, the ramifications of it. I saw something the other day, Andy, that just blew me away, bro. Blew me away. I'm watching Hard Knocks, right? Now, why in God's name would I, this is how screwed up I am, right? I I, I get football 24-7. I'm in the middle of a season. I've just, we've come out of training camp eight weeks. Ago. Why am I watching somebody else's training camp, right? Because it's fascinating TV. And I watched Robert Sala absolutely undress his offensive line in a team meeting. And what was shocking to me about that, what he said, I have no... Like, he's right, okay? But to put that out there is like, I don't know about that one now. Because you have the right in the contract with with uh, Hard Knocks, you have the right to edit out anything you don't want. So they they saw every bit of footage. You know, their, their people go through every bit of footage to make sure that there's nothing that they don't want in the media. And there's kind of a... And I guess maybe we're seeing it, that all those unwritten rules are getting broken with the Sean Payton thing and everything. But there was kind of an unwritten rule always. And I say this to my players. I say, I will be hard on your ass in this room, but I will always support you publicly and I'll never finger you in the media. Right. And I think that's how you build trust. Well, he must be so fed up with the offensive line and the way they're performing to put that out there for all the world to see, not just Jets fans, but for all the world to see and all of their friends and their families and all that to, to hear them, the stink, he called it, of the offensive line. That one was a real shocker to me. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know whether they sent out a message to players that if you're we're not going to cover anything up, you know, if you're not going to perform on the on the practice field and you might as well let the whole world know about it. I don't know whether that's got anything to do with it. Maybe he wants to send out a message. Uh, but speaking of the documentaries, have you watched both the quarterback on Netflix and also the Johnny Manziel, the thing that came out this week? Yeah. And I've been really interested in both because Johnny actually played here at the end of his career. He came up to the CFL to try and resurrect his career and the same things that bit him in the tail in the NFL, bit him in the tail here. You know, there comes when you get to pro football, uh, you know, you just can't rely on sheer talent there, you know, and, and this is, it, there was a message in there that I don't think a lot of people got. And I think, you know, I'd like to throw this out there to young, young players that are listening to this. When you see those things, you recognize that Johnny Manziel was an incredibly talented athlete, you know, and could create and do all kinds of things at the college level, even at the division one college level. A&M is one of the elite pro programs in America. But when you step up to the pros, it's a huge step. And if you don't have study habits, like he never watched film, if you didn't, you don't have practice habits, if you're going to not take care of your body, all of those things. Well, you go from where you're the best and everybody else is down here to now you go to the pros and everybody's the best. And if you if you don't have habits to rely on, it's really, really difficult. And, you know, it cost him his career. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing that struck me was the zero hours of iPad viewing. I think that's a real, I think there's, on the one side, I don't think you have to be a quarterback. He watches it every single minute of your life. I think Trevor Lawrence 
made a good point about it not being the be-all and end-all for his life. But at the same time, like we saw with Marcus Russell back in the day, like we saw with Johnny Manziel in this documentary, I think if you don't watch any film or don't watch any sort of, do any sort of studying whatsoever, I think you're basically not going to make it as a player. Even the most naturally talented players in the world who can come to the pros, if you're not watching tape at all, then you're never going to make it as simple as. And I think that's a big message too. If you're a young quarterback watching that documentary, I think that should be a big sign to you watching the documentary that, yeah, if you're going to the NFL or even college for that matter, you've got to watch the film. You know, and it's interesting too, we talk about the documentary quarterback, which I thought was genius, right? I thought it was really, really good. But it's interesting, the number of quarterbacks who have already said they're not going to participate in it, you know? And I think there comes a point where you you reach a saturation point with building your brand and some of these other things that, you know, athletes do today. And I don't, I, you know, I don't uh, begrudge them that because you're only going to play for a very short time and you're trying to maximize your earning power and, you know, your staying power and all of that. But I think the reality of it is there is, it's intrusive to the point where it can become a negative. And I've heard Lamar Jackson say he's not going to do it. And a number of guys have said they're not interested in allowing that to happen. So, you know, uh, you know, I, th I think there, I think, at least in my mind, there's plenty of inside information that we can get without having a camera following a guy around 24-7. I agree. And things like, you know, mic'd up especially gives you almost that insight without needing a documentary. I think obviously it goes into much more quarterbacks. You have receivers, linemen, all them, the ones that are mic'd up as well. So I think, you know, we probably are okay as we are, but I think if someone told me you're going to get a second series of quarterback, I'm all for it. I thought it was really good. Now, speaking of the Raiders, um, the main ins and outs going on this offseason, the main outs, uh, Darren Waller via trade to the Giants, uh, quarterback Derek Carr, who's gone to the Saints, as well as Jared Stitham, fellow quarterback, who's, I believe, has gone to the Broncos, uh, cornerback Rock Garcin has gone, tight end Foster Moreau, as well as Matt Collins and Cleland Farrell. Uh, and ins include quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, wide receivers Philip Dorsett and Jacoby Myers, which is quite ironic considering the play against the Patriots last year. Uh, tight end Austin Hooper, safety Marcus Epps and running back Damian Williams, as well as uh, draftees such as Tyree Wilson, defensive end uh, from Texas Tech, seventh overall. Uh, Michael Mayer, who I think looks really good, tight end, 35th overall. Uh, as well as 70th overall selection, Byron Young, the defensive tackle from Alabama. Overall for you, Jeff, your thoughts on the offseason? Well, I think, you know, the thing with the Raiders, when you looked at the Raiders, and I've been a Raider fan for a long time, I think one of the things that has been really tough, and, you know, Rob Ryan is a very good friend of mine, and, and um, you know, their defense has just struggled. I mean, they're un they just do not have enough people on defense. You know, um, when you think about it, uh, you know, it's un it's unfortunate. They got an elite level pass rusher at defensive end and really nobody else around him. And if you look, if you look around the league historically, there's typically been a second to that guy who could, you know, who would benefit from the, you know, the high, the highest level player, but also could, you know, was good enough that you wouldn't have to be able to, that you couldn't slide the protection all the way to him and all the things that they do to Max Crosby. So I think the young kid that they drafted out of Texas tech is a, in my mind, a bit of a reach. He's an, he's an athletic freak. He's got all of the numbers, all the testing numbers, all of that. 
But for too long, in my opinion, the Raiders have drafted based upon those kinds of things and not upon production as a football player. Now, if that player can, you know, maximize his talent and come in and give, you know, become the bookend that Crosby needs on the other side, the Raiders defense makes a quantum jump. But there's still you know, they're still not good enough in the back end. They're still not good enough on the second level at linebacker. Um, if the defense improves, they'll be a better football team. I think what you saw after Josh's first year and coach Vermeil told us, told us this in both um, St. Louis and in Kansas city, that it really takes a year in a program before you really know what you've got and what you don't have, because you can study the tape and you can, you know, look at his player's evaluation and combine grades and all of that. But until you go through a season with them and, you know, the bullets are flying and, you know, the controversies come and adversity strikes, because one thing that I guarantee every player that comes to pro football is you're going to face adversity. And sometimes you're going to face it on a weekly basis, like the Raiders did last year. So you don't know what you have until, the shit hits the fan. And so now I think Josh has a feel for what, you know, what he had. And I think he knows what he wants. Uh, I think Michael Meyer and, and uh, Hooper create a, an, an environment or an opportunity for them to be more what they were at New England when they had multiple tight ends, when you had Gronkowski and Hernandez, you know, those, kinds of situations that help a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's, you know, Jimmy's won a lot of football games in the National Football League, but can he carry a team on his back? That's the question. Now, what's going to happen with Josh Jacobs, right? You know, this is one of those things that you, you, you as co I mean, as a coach, it's so very difficult because, you know, at some, in some ways you're at the whim of the player. Because if he's made enough money, if he wants to step away for a year, like, you know, we've seen that happen before with, with Le'Veon Bell in the, in the National Football League. And so if he chooses to step away for a year, what are you going to do? You know, you're talking about an elite level running back, back talent that you need because they all, I think the Raiders will always want to run the ball first. And, and, you know, that if you look at McDaniel's history, when Brady was at his best, they could run the football. Right. And you went if you got an eight man box to stop the run, they were good enough throwing it, particularly with the multi tight end stuff that they did. And they they were you know, they were imaginative that he could get the ball outside. And I think Jimmy can do that. Now, what happens if they don't have their bell cow back? We'll wait and see. I think it's really interesting because I think Josh McDaniels, I think he could be really on a hot, a hot seat if. They do struggle again because they only lasted, well, just less than two years in Denver, you know, and he's not had the best time in the Raiders. And there's all the reputation about what happened in Indianapolis. He's not got the best head coach CV right now. And I think there's a worry for him if he struggles again. And I, whilst I don't think that Garoppolo is an upgrade on Derek Carr, he's someone that, you know, as you say, Joshua Daniels knows from Patriots. And I think that it's someone more familiar to him. I don't think he ever really liked Derek Carr from the get-go. But the Jacob one's interesting because it's the, it's been a 
a real trend this off season with with running backs. I mean, there was stuff with Saquon Barkley, and there's people like Derrick Henry were tweeting out about you know, the salary they were getting. And I know Barkley has gone out and got his eleven million, I think, eleven million dollar deal for a year extension. Um, but with Jacobs, he's as you say, got that risk for Levy and Bell situation where he holds out for a year and never recovers like Bell. And they're saying that he could lose up to $10.1 million if he doesn't sign a deal or sign a franchise tag um, by a certain date. So I think there's definitely two sides of it because he's going to want to feel like he's being respected as a running back and being paid what he deserves. But most running backs by 28, 27, Todd Gilly, the classic example of this, they they never, you know, they, they never develop and they, they regress every time. And I think Derek Henry may be the one to disprove that. But most running backs past a certain age, they do they do regress and it's just part of the part of the position they're in and it's part of the the bruising nature of that running back position. So for Jacobs, he's 25, so he's still at a young age. So you can have that year off and he could still go out and have two, three more years at his best. But it has to be a worry for him that if he doesn't play this year and no one takes a chance on him because of that year out and because of what's going on behind the scenes. Is that worry at all about Josh Jacobs, about potentially he could have be another Le'Veon Bell? Yeah, I think there's a possibility there. Until he gets into camp, it's a possibility, right? I mean, is it likely? I don't think so. Is it a possibility? Yes, it is a possibility. Is it a reality right now for the Raiders? They're trying to get ready for a season. We're going to, we're going to kick it off in a month. And their top back hasn't taken a snap. He hasn't been in camp. You know, he can't work out with the team when you're doing holding out like this. Here's the reality, right? And I think this is important. The game continues to evolve, right? So the days of the bell cow back, right? You know, the guys that were going to carry it 30, 35 times a game, the Emmett Smiths, the, you know, Walter Paytons, the, all of those kinds of guys, you know, it, you know, those days are gone. And the, re, and the reality... It's supply and demand economics, right? The game is now 60% throw, 40% run. So now that devalues the running back right there, all right? So then now factor in that there are far more college running backs, elite college running backs, than there are elite college quarterbacks. You're not going to make as much money as a quarterback. And if the quarterback is the most important guy, and we all know he is, then who's the second most important guy? It's not the receiver. It's the left tackle or right tackle, depending on which hand your quarterback throws with, that protects him. So there are very, very, very few humans walking around the planet that are that have the dimensions, the length, the foot quickness, the toughness, the ability to bend, all of the things that a left tackle has got to be able to do. So here's this pool, this big pool of players at a position and here's this little tiny pool of players at a very critical position quarterback and even a smaller pool of players at another at another critical position well if you're an if you're a businessman where are you going to invest your money in where you can get the the returns number one and number two where you can get them as cheap as possible well i know i can go get another running back I can't go get another left tackle. I can't go get another pass rusher. I can't go get another elite quarterback, right? I mean, we see teams struggle with it all the time. And so the running back union that kind of formed in the offseason where guys are, I mean, it was a concerted effort between a lot of guys, you know, 
that got together and said, we need to publicize the fact that we're underpaid. No, you're not underpaid. You're paid what the market bears, right? You're not underpaid. So they can get that out of their head. The reality of it is the market says you can get player X at position X for such and such a dollar, right? Now, if a team chooses to overpay, that's the team's business, right? But the smart teams aren't going to, they're going to resist that. And they're going to, they're going to hold in there and say, okay, go, go. We'll, we'll find another, right? Now, that's the just cold, hard economics of the game. As we say, the business of the business. Yeah, and I want to bring up to you a stat here. Um, according to fantasypros.com, this is the, the the snap leaders for running back last year in the whole NFL. And the top three are Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, and Josh Jacobs. Um, so it just shows that you can be sort of someone who has a lot of snaps for your team. And even then, it's not guaranteed they're going to want to keep you. And I think that's really telling that the guys who had the, the most running back snaps of all the NFL um, were three players that are currently, well, one of them's had his future resolved, one of them's been shipped off, and one of them, we don't know what's going on. So I think it's um, a really interesting time in the NFL for running backs. And I think that, you know, we've seen Zeke Elliott be humble now, and he got $6 million at the Patriots. And, you know, so many running backs have just basically been taught a harsh lesson. And also Dalvin Cook um, talked about, you know, he wants to go to all these teams. And in the end, uh, he, he ended up taking ages to sign a new deal. And Fournette's not even with the team right now. And he was in the top 10 in that list as well. So, yeah, definitely a humbling time when it comes to the um, to the running back position. Yeah. And, you know, you think about Austin Eckler. How many touchdowns did he score last year? Right? I mean, so if anybody if anybody has a, a, a gripe, if you will, there's a guy that's been very, very productive. But the reality of it is, the analytics of it are, and all of the things that that organizations use to figure out how to use their salary cap money, say, you can't pay everybody, right? So when Herbert gets his big deal, you got to backload that with rookie contracts and, and you know, lower level free agency. Con you can't pay you know, Mac and Bosa and Herbert and Eckler, and you can't do it. Williams, and it just, you can't do it. And fans sometimes don't understand that. But I'm going to tell you what you, I'm going to make a suggestion to you. And I think this would be really good for you and for the podcast. I want you to get a hold of my, my agent, Paul Sheehy at ProStar.com in, in Denver. And Paul will do a great job of explaining how the cap works in a way that the fans can understand more about why teams go certain ways with their dollars. And Paul's one of the best agents in the business. He's got a tremendous client base and, you know, he's negotiated billions of dollars of contracts in the national football league. And I know he'd be happy to come on your show and explain the process. That'd be amazing. I definitely at class after show will, um, I'll, if you send it to me, the email, I'll um, certainly get that across in order to get that. At some point in the season, or even the off-season, the month we have left to go, we'll, we'll look to um, get him on. Awesome. So, we're going to head to the final segment of the episode, because we are short of time, but we're going to quickly go through the, the win-loss-tie segment of the show, which, if you aren't familiar, if you're listening at home, or what it is right now, we ask everyone to come on 
and predict the team they're covering's record for the season. So we'll go through each game and predict with a win, loss, tie record. Now, Jeff, you on last year. Um, so the Raiders finished 6-11. Do you remember what your prediction was from last year for the Raiders? Couldn't, couldn't remember. 11-6. Uh, and six. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, I, sometimes I speak with my heart, not my head. <laughs> you're on the first on this podcast to do that we had a, a commanders fan chris milner from national vintage league he had the commanders with i think 11 or 12 wins last year we had packers fans with 16 and 0 predictions you know also 17 and 0 16 and 1 predictions and then on the flip side we had you know we had a seahawks fan on last year javan who predicted five wins the seahawks got way more than that and then we had a broncos fan tony from talk sport he predicted them to get 11, 12 wins and they got five. So it's just amazing how the league works out. And it's why we it's why we love the sport because, you know, teams can be really, you know, really bad one year and good the next and vice versa. And there's a reason why every year only a handful of teams make the playoffs return to the playoffs. It's so competitive and that's why we, that's why we love it. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, let's go. So week one is a road game against Denver Broncos. Win, loss or tie. I'm going to say that's a loss. Okay. Denver's a hard, Denver's hard place to play. I think mm. there'll be a real emotional day. You know, obviously, the first game of Sean Payton's coaching career, uh, I think the Denver Broncos did a great job in the offseason. I think they did a better job, frankly, than the Raiders did in the offseason of, you know, helping their football team. And, you know, we'll see what whether it plays out. But, you know, I think I think the Broncos will be improved. Yeah, I think... If if Peyton, you know, he can't get Wilton back to his best his Seattle days, I don't think anyone can, to be honest. It's um, you know, it's always the same thing down Rogers a little bit, where it's hard to tell whether last year was bad because they were unhappy where they were, or whether it was bad coaching in Russell Wilson's case, or whether it was down to age. And I think this season, with um with Hackett back in in Rogers' life, we'll know this year whether it was down to him being unhappy in Green Bay. And we'll know this year if Wilson can or can't perform, whether it was down to um Hack it or not. So I think it's really interesting time for those two fullbacks. And I think it really is a massive basically their season's all hinge on this. And I think if you know, Russell Wilson struggles, Denver have no chance of making the playoffs. And same thing with the Jets and what is a very tough division. And speaking of which, in week two, um, you're on the road um, to the Buffalo Bills. Bills too good. Too good. Josh Allen, too too good a player, too many good players on defense. Bills haven't had a great training camp. I watched them play their their first preseason game. Uh, they struggled a little bit, but it was a lot of really second-line players out there for them. So I, I just think that they've got a lot of good football players in Buffalo, and, and they know how to win, and they know they're in their Super Bowl window. So I'll take Buffalo. Okay, so week three, you're at home for the first time this year, uh, at home to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tough. I mean, that's a that's an iconic game. You go all the way back to, you know, the the – play that's immortalized in the airport in Pittsburgh, you know, the, the immaculate reception. And, you know, the Steelers have kind of had their ways with the Raiders over the years, so I'm going to take Pittsburgh. So we're 0-3 to start. We're not starting real well. Yeah, not not a great start. Uh, but heading on, going back to the, you mentioned about the Pittsburgh airport, I went to Pittsburgh last year and literally, it was sadly a month about a month before James Franco passed away, but as you, you walk downstairs after getting off your flight, that's one of the first things you see. And it's just, I think it's so good because it just, you automatically know you you're in Pittsburgh now, and it's just it's a really good welcome into, into the into the Pittsburgh area, and it basically shows you straight away what Pittsburgh's all about. Through that, so week four, back on the road in LA at SoFi against the Chargers. I think they can beat the Chargers. I, I 
you know, the Chargers have a talented roster, but for whatever reason, they've never really played up to their talent level. And you got to remember, Bosa only had two sacks last year. He's coming off that injury, so he's got to prove that he's back. Khalil Max at the tail end of his career. Um, you know, I think this is a game that the Raiders can win. Hey, so week five um, is at home against the uh, Green Bay Packers. Wow. There's this one I can't call, to be honest with you. You got to give me a pass on this one because how do we know about Green Bay? I mean, you know, until we see more of Jordan Love, I think that's going to be the, the big tell in Green Bay. I think, I think, though, that Green Bay is kind of revitalized. I think the coaching staff's a little revitalized, and I think the players are too because Aaron casts such a big shadow in, in Green Bay, and that's not a negative. It's just I think that they're revitalized with the chance to prove that they can win without him. Do you call it a tie, that one? The first I'll tie call it a tie. All right, great. So next up is another home game, but this time against the New England Patriots. I, I, think, they, I think they can beat the Patriots. I've, I've got to see the Patriots – Prove to us. It was close last year, and I think it, I think the Patriots are going to have to prove to us that Mac Jones is frankly for real, and you know that they're that they can find somebody, anybody outside to make a big play for him in the passing game. Hey, so week seven, you're heading on to Chicago's take on the Bears. I think they'll beat the Bears. I think uh, the Bears are kind of everybody's darling this off season. Um, but again, can Justin Fields do it with his arm and not just his legs? Uh, I think they're going to be better, but I don't know who's rushing the passer in that, in that place. Uh, you know, that's going to be the, that's going to be the key. That defense, this could be as crazy as it sounds. This could be a high scoring game, not because the offenses are great. It's because I think you got two defenses that struggle. Yeah. I mean, they've added Yannick Ngokwe, but I know you said it many times on inside the huddle that, is a red flag when he's had so many teams in so many years. And I think it's um, as good as tight he is, there's always that red flag if someone has been on, what's it been, like five teams in three years now or something for Ngokwe? Yeah, because let me say this. When you're a pass rusher, and he's a very good player, right? When you're a pass rusher and you get you just shuttle from team to team like he's done, there's something to that. I mean, teams just don't give, give up talented pass rushers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, week eight, speaking of people's darlings, um, on the road to the Detroit Lions. Wow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the Lions. I, I think that you know Dan Campbell's done a great job of instituting a culture there, a toughness there that you know that just going to separate them from other people. They had a great draft. They've got great young talent. I heard it said the other day. Now I'm not sure I'm going to ride this hype train this far, but they were talking about. Hutchinson and saying that he could be a 20 sack, you know, 20 sack a year guy. I don't know about that, but I think he can certainly be 10 or 12 this year and, or maybe 14. And, and, you know, that'll be too much for the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll take a lot for any, any defensive player to get 20 sacks in a year. That, that'll be a hell of achievement if he does that. Um, week nine, you're at home to the New York Giants. I think they can beat the Giants. I really, I really, really do. I, I think that, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, Danny, Daniel Jones got his big contract now. Saquon's back on in the fold. Cole Beasley, Cole Beasley is in there. They've got some really fine young receivers. Uh, Waller at tight end. It'll be really interesting to watch that, him come back to Las, Las Vegas and play in the stadium that, you know, he played him as a Raider. Um, but, again, I just – I think that that uh, at home, you know, you, you, Coach Vermeil used to say that – 
automatically, as soon as you got had a home game, it was a three point advantage over whoever you played. So week 10, a game I'm going to be actually going to, um, is at home to the New York Jets. Yike. Is that, you know, again, I just, you look at the, and if the Jets can protect the pass, and that's not the Raider, that's not the Raiders strength, their pass rush. But if they can protect the passer, they're going to be really good. Way, way, way too many weapons for that Raider defense. And, and uh, you know, I was really impressed watching the Jets' defensive line in preseason, even though it was some backup players, you know, some ro- guys that will be rotational players in that, you know, it wasn't Quentin Williams. It wasn't, the you know, the elite players. They've really got some guys that can rush the passer. Yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting season for Jets fans. Um, before your week 13 bye, you've got two games against the Miami Dolphins in Miami and against the Chiefs uh, at home. You can take L's on both of those. That's the, <laughs> just too too much explosive fire, firepower for the Raiders' defense to, to fight off. Okay, so that means going into your week 40 game after your bye week, you're on a 4-7-1 and one record. So it's not going the best for the Raiders, according to this record. Nope, but hey, I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to temper my expectations. Remember what we talked about? <laughs> <laughs> um, so week 14, um, you're at home again, but this time against the Vikings. They can beat the Vikings. I really think at home they can beat the Vikings. Um, you know, I think the Vikings defense is gonna have to prove that they've gotten better. And uh, you know, this will anytime they're at home, I think you you got a chance. And I'll I'll say this one's gonna go to the Raiders. Hey, so week 15 is at home to the Chargers. Again, I think they can beat the Chargers at home. They're getting on a little hot streak towards the end. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, but I think they're going to, you know, they're threatening to be a 500 team. Well, this streak might end in week 16 on the road to the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Arrowhead. See ya. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah, that one is, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I went to the game last year at Arrowhead between these two, and it was, they ran them close. But I just think with what's happened with the Raiders and what's happening with the Chiefs vice versa, I just think that is going to be, yeah, a bit of a mismatch. Um, week 17, though, um, your final road game of the regular season is against the Colts. They'll beat the Colts. Okay, so that means you go into week 18, you're at home um, against the Denver Broncos. And again, I think they can beat the Broncos at home. I think the Raiders will finish better than they start. Um, I mean, the schedule kind of sets them up that way. Plus, I think, you know, they'll continue to grow over the course of the season. This is going to be an offense that's going to take a little time for all those guys to feel comfortable with one another and and for Jimmy to kind of get a chemistry developed with those guys that he's got. I'm anxious to see, like I said, that two tight end stuff that they're going to be able to do. And hopefully the defense will continue to grow through the season too. They got to stay for that for them to, you know, win seven games, I think they're going to have to stay healthy. That's the number one thing and continue to go through the season and worry about not about the playoffs, but just worry about getting better week to week. So, so yeah, this obviously will mean that you won't be making the playoffs with that record. Um, I mean, I think, you know, with the Raiders, what do you think would happen after, after that in terms of, you know, well, I, I think, I think if, Mr. Davis would make a change after they go 10 and seven and can't don't make the playoffs. And you may not make the playoffs in that division at 10 and seven in the AFC at 10 and seven. You may not. Um, I think it would be a shame because when anytime you change, anytime you 
you know, fire coaches and fire players and, you know, fire equipment guys. And I mean, it's when they go through, they typically go right through the building and, you know, you're going to set yourself up for another rebuilding scenario. And that's, I think one of the things that teams like Pittsburgh have shown us is that when you're willing to hang in there with some tough years and Mike's had some tough years. Now he never has never had a losing season, but he's had some 10, seven kind of seasons. Then, you know, if you're, as long as the players are continuing to hear you. Right. And I think that that's going to be the big key. I think they'll get a, certainly a, a, another year and, you know, that would be good for them. But yeah, so looking at overall terms, if you are our, um, looking at the table now, we've got of all the fans that have been on so far, you are, get the table up now. So you are 20th guest and our 19th team we've covered. Um, you are our third least optimistic fan <laughs> going into the, going into the season so far. <laughs> Well, I tell you, I just I, I really think that, you know, when you go into a program like Josh did and those coaches did and you were as you know, you've gone through the massive turnover that you've gone through and, you know, you're only in year two of a rebuild that you just have to be patient. The problem you run into is you are really in a good division. You're in a, maybe one of the best divisions in football. I think the AFC East would argue that, but. Certainly when you look at the West, you know, every one of those teams has an elite quarterback with the exception of who you and, and, uh, you know, and, and I think Jimmy's better than a lot of people give him credit for. And I, you know, I, I'm hopeful that he has, you know, another good year. He's won a lot of football games in the national football league. Now he wasn't able to take, the 49ers to the, you know, to a Super Bowl championship. He missed Emmanuel Sanders by a yard and a half in the Super Bowl game. What would have been a catch to win the game. And that's amazing that your career is evaluated by a yard and a half. Right. And so unfortunately we lost connection with Jeff towards the end of our chat about all things Raiders. But I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, if you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, don't forget to follow the podcast and keep an eye out for the rest of our season previews. But in the meantime, this has been the Across the Pod NFL Podcast Las Vegas season preview with myself and Jeff Reinbold. And we will see you guys for our next team preview. See you then.